that she cares about us. That she loves us. That she's beautiful. Um, she does all kinds of fun stuff with us. My favorite thing is to snuggle. She hugs me when, when it's bedtime. She's the best mom in the world. My mommy is like a love and kiss and kiss and hug. She gives you kisses and hugs? Yes. Yeah. Be selfless. To be selfless? What's selfish? Uh, stay positive. Uh, go snuggle. <laughs> uh, she mistakes our names sometimes. Oh, uh, sometimes she just screams as loud as she can for no reason. <laughs> she never eats cookies. One time she ate a donut. Are you going to buy her something for Mother's Day? No. no. Don't know. Yeah. Well, happy Mother's Day to all of you moms out there. We are so honored that uh, you have uh, chosen this holiday to, to spend with us. And, uh, you know, this is our one day out of the entire year where we try to overcompensate for the 364 other days that we don't tell you how much we love and appreciate you. And so we want that message to be heard loud and clear. Whether you're worshiping online or at our West Campus or maybe here at Newburgh, let's all give our moms a big uh, round of applause. <clears throat> Now, believe it or not, this is uh, one of the highest attended weekends for men in our church throughout the entire year, all right? Why? Because the one wish that your wife or your mom had on Mother's Day was for you to attend church with her, and so you're here, right? And it's a win-win situation by you being here. Your mom, your wife got what she wished for, and the other thing is, it's a win that you didn't have to buy her a gift, right? Now, she may have said, don't get me a gift, but guys, come on, we, we know this is a lie. She doesn't really mean that. Buy her a gift, and uh, it will be a much better Mother's Day for you. I'm just telling you from experience, okay? Uh, that's, just, that's just true. Uh, being a mom, as you moms know, it, it's a big call to carry around a lot of responsibility and uh, you, you absorb so much um, uh, caring for the kids and, and managing the home and uh, putting up with your husband or, or what, whatever the dynamic may be. You, you absorb a lot of stress and, and the truth is the, the call to being a mom is really a call towards stepping up into more responsibility, isn't it? And so what I want to do today is I want to uh, have a different approach, take a different approach to Mother's Day. And I want to look at a lie that a lot of moms tend to either battle or believe in our day and age that really doesn't help much, okay? It only cultivates and fosters this uh, idea of, of it being a, a burden. And so I, I want to look at a lie that, that a lot of moms struggle with. And to a degree, I think all of us struggle with this lie, okay? Now, now here's the thing that's interesting about how you and, and I are, are wired 
weird, okay? Whenever we believe something to be true and accept it as reality, in that moment, we give it power over us, okay? So if something sounds good to us and, and it sounds rational, although it may not be true whatsoever, all right, we give it power over our life because what we believe, what we accept as truth determines how we live on a day-to-day basis. L- let me give you a little example of this, okay? This past week, my world came totally crashing down when I realized that I had been a victim of this life from my mom for about three decades, okay? Now, I don't know exactly when my mom told me this lie or why this lie was sold to me. And chances are you've been a victim of this lie as well, okay? And you know what I'm talking about. The the lie that, that I have been told goes like this, okay? Eating carrots helps improve your eyesight, right? Yeah, we've all told that it sounds good, it sounds rational, but you know what? It's nothing but a lie, all right? It's not true whatsoever. Now, now I've got to figure out a way to figure out how I'm going to confront uh, my kids and come clean with how I've passed on this lie from one generation to the next. My counselor says it's therapeutic for me to talk about, okay? Now, come to find out, uh, this belief really has its origins in World War II propaganda, Okay? Now, believe it or not, uh, some uh, pilots in the British military at the time had radar on their airplanes, and and they didn't want any of the other uh, allies or enemy uh, opposing forces to know about the radar they had on their planes. And and so in an effort to explain the accuracy of their pilots, uh, the British British allies started telling everybody that their pilots ate a bunch of carrots, okay, and carrots in turn helped improve their eyesight. They were more accurate as a result. Well, there was a um, uh, come to find out a, a writer for Bugs Bunny who caught on to this narrative, who heard about this belief and accepted it as truth. And so he started fusing it into different episodes of the Bugs Bunny cartoon show. All right. And so as a result, here we are several decades later, and there are no telling how many millions of children and parents have bought into this lie and have been told that eating carrots improves your eyesight. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus said the truth will set you free. This is not true. It does not help your eyesight, okay? I know that this might be like a world rocking moment for you to learn this, but there's no truth to it. But you know what? That's how how our minds work. We we hear something that, that appears to be true. And so when we accept it as reality, all of a sudden it has power over our life and we live according to it. And so this is one of the reasons precisely why why we are called continuously throughout scripture to be careful about what we think, to be careful about what we absorb, what we take in, because how we think determines how, how we live. It determines from the inside out the person that we maybe become. And, and so the one lie that I want to look at that I know a lot of women, especially a lot of moms face and, and battle and struggle with on a day-to-day basis goes like this. I don't have what it takes, Right? I mean, you think, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not good enough. To, there's no way that I can really measure up. I, I'm not sure how much longer I can keep going. I mean, if, if, my, only ki- if my kids only knew the real version of me, I, I'll never live up to, to the example that my mom said, or I'll never be like my mother-in-law. And, and so continuously, you, you absorb these expectations and these standards, and it leads to more and more stress. And, and so all of a sudden, believing that you don't have what it takes doesn't really help much. And, and so what I want to look at today is, does it... 
does it really matter whether or not you're a perfect or imperfect mom? I mean, are you really called to be a perfect parent when you step into this journey of motherhood? I mean, is that, is that really what it's all about? Is that what's required? Or simply, is, is this just another version of, of carrots, right? Where it, it, sound, it sounds true. I mean, it, it looks good on, you know, a bookmark. It looks good on a refrigerator magnet. But there's no way that at the end of the day, I can live up to that as a mom. So what I want to do is I want to look at perhaps the most famous mother of all time, the mother of Jesus, a woman that you know, a woman by the name of Mary. All right, so if you have your Bibles or Bible app, I want you to go ahead and turn to the uh, uh, book of Luke. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a black one either in front of you or below you. And uh, Luke can be found towards the back of your Bibles. It goes like this, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, okay? And as you're turning there, understand Luke serves as kind of like a biography about Jesus. He was this first century physician, all right, that interviewed a bunch of eyewitnesses to Jesus' life. And, and he was so convinced that Jesus really was God, that he really did conquer the grave, that that he did come back to life and crash his funeral three days after being crucified and put to death, that what Luke ended up doing was selling his practice and starting churches all across the Mediterranean world at the time so that as many people as possible could know that Jesus really was God. And so in chapter two, in in verse 41, it's one of the only stories that, that we have record of when Jesus was about 12 years old. Pick up with me in uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 41. Here's what we read. All right, every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it, thinking that he was in their company. Completely overlooking Jesus isn't with them. They traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among the relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they freaked out and went back to Jerusalem to look for him. All right. And so Mary and Joseph, what we have happening here is that they have taken Jesus to this yearly religious festival that they do every year in the city of Jerusalem. And on their return trip back home, they completely forget that Jesus wasn't with them. Now, this is what every good first century Jew did. Right? They would go to Jerusalem to celebrate uh, this, this, uh, th- this holiday. But they were on their way back home. It had been about a day all right, into this journey back home when they realized, hey, oh my goodness, we, we have forgotten Jesus. Now, I just have to wonder, let's just be honest. Let's be real for a second. How do you forget Jesus? Right? It's like he's the son of God, right? You remember that angel moment and immaculate conception? I mean, how, how does this happen? My mom forgot to pick me up a few times from school growing up, but you know what? That was understandable. She needed a break, right? <laughs> but for Mary, she was raising God's son. And, and truthfully, when we understand the context and the cultural background, you have to understand that this was actually a, a pretty easy mistake to make back then. People traveled in, in large groups on long journeys to protect against being robbed or ambushed by uh, criminals along desolate roadways. And so obviously Mary thought that Jesus was with Joseph and Joseph thought that Jesus was with Mary, but a day into this journey back home, they realized, nope, that, that's not actually happening. And so they had been headed towards home for a whole day when they realized, where, where, where's Jesus? Oh no, we, we, we've left him. Can you imagine, can, can you imagine how terrifying this moment had to have been for Mary? 
I mean, as, as they retraced their steps back to the city of Jerusalem, did they think to themselves, you know, is, is Jesus, has, has he been kidnapped? Is, is, is he dead? Is he in danger? I mean, how scared is he right now? Where, where is he? Will we ever find him? You see, their worst nightmare became reality whenever they realized that they had completely, that they had completely overlooked Jesus. And you see, moms absorb so much responsibility for their children. I mean, you want, you want what's best for us, you protect us. You want us to succeed. If you're a foster mom, you wonder what kind of home is next for your foster child. You, you can't help but wonder if, if your future daughter-in-law is going to be able to take care of your son the way that you did growing up. Your daughter's going off to college in the fall and you just hope that she doesn't make some of the same mistakes that, that you made in, in college, right? But you see, no, no matter how good your intentions may be, no matter how consistent you may be with discipline with your kids, Chances are you have experienced that moment as a mom where you're on this journey on the road and you realize, you realize about a day into this journey that, that you have forgotten one of your kids. Your, son, your son's back in the city. What, what, what kind of shame, what kind of shame did Mary experience in this moment when she realized that, that she had forgotten one of her children? I mean, what conversation took place between her and God? I imagine it went something like this. God, I knew I wasn't qualified for this. I knew you shouldn't have chosen me to bring the Messiah, the promised one, into this world. I'm not, I'm not deserving of this. I, I blew it. I made a mistake. I, I completely overlooked him. Are you sure? Are you sure that I'm up for this? I don't have what it takes. What, what kind of whispers did Mary hear as word got out about what she had done? What kind of glares did people give her as she walked into the city of Jerusalem after asking, hey, have you seen my son? Have you seen Jesus? What, what did she experience in this moment? One thing I've learned in parenting is that uh, bringing up and raising children only magnifies failures and inadequacies in me, right? I mean, there's no other area of my life that I probably fail more at <laughs> than parenting. There was a, uh, a study done um, a couple years ago involving a, an engineering class at Cornell University, and observers learned something really interesting. In this class made up of, boy, of, of both men and, and women, they, they learned that men and women faced and responded to challenges or failures in a very different way. Okay, so men responded to failure or some kind of difficulty that they experienced in this class by projecting it onto something else, by pointing to some external outward thing and, and not absorbing the responsibility of it, okay? Now they would say things like, you know, I, I didn't pass the test because it, it was unfair or the teacher really hasn't been all that good all, all year long or, you know, it just was kind of confusing. That, that's why I didn't pass the test. Men, they learned, were quick to point the finger and, and point to something on the outside. It, it was everyone else's fault but them. Does that sound familiar, right? <laughs> Women, on the other hand, instead of pointing to some, something on the, on the outside, they internalized their difficulty. They responded to their failures by personalizing it. They would say things like, you know what? I, I knew I shouldn't have taken this class. I knew, I, I knew that, that I, wasn't, I wasn't smart enough. I knew that I wasn't up for it. I knew I just didn't have what it takes. And, and for some reason, I got pressured into taking this class anyway. I, I, sh I, shouldn't, I shouldn't have done it. And so the conclusion of the study was men and women respond to challenges and failures just a little bit differently, like it took a study to realize that, right? Now, let me give you an example of this, all right? About a month ago, 
uh, I ran into Target to pick up some diapers, and on my way out, uh, I was walking by the clothing aisle. I saw a pair of pants that I really liked. And so, come to find out, they were on sale, and they had my size. So I picked up uh, a pair of 32s in this pant size. I didn't try them on, okay, because I'm a guy. Guys don't try on clothes, especially in Target, all right, because that's just like throwing away all these man cards all at one time, right? <laughs> so I go to check out and uh, only two items, diapers and these pair of pants. I get home, I put the pair of pants on. I don't try them on, I go to wear the pants, all right? And uh, w- when I pull the pants up, they're, they're a little bit tight, okay? They're, they're a little bit tight, I mean, re- really tight. I managed to get the pants buttoned, but when I looked down, I saw this poor button, and this button looked terrified, like it was hanging on for dear life, all right? And somehow I, I managed to, to button the pants together, but again, it, it, they're tight, and, and you know what? In, in that moment, do you, do you know what I didn't think? I didn't think to myself, well, you know what? Th- these pants don't fit because may- maybe I've put on a few pounds, Right, I didn't think, you know what, maybe all of those late night bowls of cereal are catching up to me. No, that's not what I did. I didn't respond to this challenge or difficulty by you know, personalizing it, owning it. No, I pointed to something else. And, and so in all honesty, do you know what I thought as I put on these pants, realizing that they were too tight? I thought, well, you get what you pay for. <laughs> I mean, somebody at Target... No wonder they were on sale. They must have, you know, mislabeled these pants. They're not 32s. They're probably more like 30s. You know what I'm saying? And so I took them back and, you know, you should label your pants better, right? That's not, that's, that's what I thought. And so this reveals that as men and women, we have different thought processes when it comes to facing difficulty or challenges in our, in our life. And so as moms, when, when you feel as if you're inadequate or when you're failing or things aren't going your way, you, you personalize it. And, and so all of a sudden you, you mistaken a, a mistake for your identity, your worth and, and your value. You've you been there before? Take a look at verse 46 in our story. After three days, they found him, Jesus, in the temple courts Sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions, everyone who heard Jesus was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Well, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. They just couldn't believe it. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? You ever heard that before? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Now, I want you to notice how Mary and Joseph found their son simply listening and asking questions. Right? Jesus' wisdom and humility literally defined every aspect, every season of his life, even as a young baby to when he was 12 years old. Now, here's the thing. This was a turning point for both Jesus and Mary. Jesus was approximately 12 years old when this happened, and the Jewish community viewed boys as men when they turned 13 years old. And so it's as if Mary in this moment watched her son maturing into adulthood before her very eyes and it's as if Jesus didn't even miss them for three days. Oh, you, you were looking for me? I was lost? I didn't know it. And so it's like G- Jesus had no clue of what, was really, of what was really taking place. And Mary and Joseph were no doubt relieved to have finally found Jesus, but I wonder if the reality of him growing up and him becoming a man, it, it was a little bit painful and nostalgic for, for them to observe. I mean, did she wonder, you know, where has the time gone? Here, we're gone for three days. He doesn't even even notice. 
And so observing Jesus in the temple courts for Mary and Joseph was probably a lot like what dropping your kids off at college was for you. It was a, a clear step. It was a clear benchmark in your life of, of your kids becoming adults, that baton being passed. And we never really know what happened to Joseph after this moment, okay? We never really read about him. Most scholars agree that sometime later he died. And, and so that would put Joseph's death right around when Jesus was either mid to late uh, teenage years. And we also know that Mary had other children. She had at least six other kids in the home. And, and so one thing that we learned from this moment is that whenever, whenever Joseph passed away, Jesus stepped up to the plate and and, and he led the home. He, he filled in that gap. And, and so Mary was this single mom who, who was given this responsibility and this burden to raise at least six or seven kids all by herself because her husband is nowhere to be found. Do you know what that feels like? Many of you, many of you are, are single moms and are single dads. And I gotta tell you, I don't know how you do it. You, you, are, you are heroes in my opinions and in my opinion. And I know that each day you wake up wondering, are you going to make it? Can, can you keep hanging on? Is it all going to be worth it? You have yet maybe to see a real difference in, in your children's life. And, and so you wonder, is, is, is this all worth it? I mean, am I making an impact in my kid's life? And, and I just want you to know that maybe, just maybe, the biggest contribution, the most significant act that, that you ever uh, contribute to the world or to the church may not be something that you do. It may not be some accolade that, that you achieve, but perhaps, perhaps it will be somebody that you are raising right now. And so keep going. We, we love you as a church and we want to be here uh, for you a, as a church. And when Mary um, and Jesus, well, actually, when, when Jesus learned that his mom and dad had been worried sick about him, his response was a little bit frustrating to his parents, okay? He just seemed pretty insensitive. He's a guy, all right? So here's what, uh, here's what we read in verses 49 and 50. Why were you searching for me, Jesus said. Then you'd know that I had to be in my father's house, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. And so on one hand, Mary is amazed at her son's maturity and him taking steps towards adulthood. But then on the other hand, she, she's frustrated at his insensitivity towards their anxiety and, and worry that they had just experienced for the previous three days. And you know, as moms, you, you carry this burden of going back and forth between joy and, and pain, fulfillment and, and frustration. You know, the longer I'm a parent, the more I realize how awesome my mom has been to me and how awesome she was to me when I, when I lived with my parents. Now, I got to tell you that I caused my parents some fulfillment. I mean, I brought some fulfillment to their life over the years. But if I'm being honest with you, I probably brought a lot more pain and frustration to them. All right. There's a reason why I was always very close with my principles. It's true. <clears throat> My wife and I have uh, three kids, ages six, four, and uh, two years old, and I have no idea how Savannah does it. I mean, I wonder sometimes the amount of stress that it takes to be home with three kids like that all day long, and then to have a husband come home late in the evening, walk through the door, and the first thing he says is, you know, I'm tired, what's for dinner? And Savannah, I wonder, responds by saying, I don't know, what'd you bring? <laughs> what's it like to be a mom to get your new daughter all prepared for Easter to put her in a dress that, that maybe your mom or your grandmother made for her. And yet 
right as you pull into the church parking lot, she has some big blowout or she throws up all over her dress. So in one sense, you're experiencing joy, but then in the next, it's, it's frustrating. Well, what's it like to be a mom and sit down with your kids after a long day at school and, and talk with them about maybe some esteem issues that, that they're facing? Mom, I, I, ate, I ate at the lunch table all by myself again today. Or mom, I, I, I didn't make the team. Mom, I, I didn't pass the test, but yet what, what joy do you experience whenever your child comes home and says, Mom, I, I passed, can you believe it? Or, or I, di- I, di- I did make the team. What, what's it like to be a parent and your children begin asking if, if, you are, if you are their biological mother, what's it like to walk them through? Well, I'm not your biological mother, but we decided to, to take you in and, and then your child maybe from that moment on struggle with trust and attachment issues. What, what's that like? I know that on a day like Mother's Day, it, it's a day full of mixed emotions because for a lot of us, it's a trigger for pain. It's a trigger for maybe a, a dark past or a relationship with a mom that, that is still, it's still not good or, or maybe your kids have cut off all communication with you. Maybe for you, this is just yet another reminder of all the miscarriages that, that you've had. Maybe for you today is, is a reminder of of your maybe infertility that you have been walking through, what, what is that for you? And if you were walking through pain today, I want you to know that, that I am sorry. Wherever you come from, I, I want you to take home the, the words of the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter six, verse nine. And I think this is especially relevant to moms. Let us not become weary in, in doing good. In other words, don't throw in the towel when you want to, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest We'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. You know, I think one of the reasons why it is so common and easy to feel like you don't have what it takes as a mom is because we constantly compare ourselves with one another, don't we? I mean, that's a little bit of what drives and defines our our culture. Social media has become a platform where passive aggressive moms try to one up each other on Instagram or Facebook. Do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, let's just be honest about it for a second, okay? Uh, There's an article uh, written by a mother of two entitled this, Humble Brag, Motherhood's Newest Pastime. (laughs) This writer talks about how uh, an apparent hobby for a lot of moms these days is is to post something on social media that will make other women think that they are awesome moms and wives, all the while conveying it in a very unassuming or humble way, in a very selfless way. You know what I'm talking about? All right, so one, one example of a humble brag post. You, you've seen them before, okay? Here's a humble brag post. It's impossible to get Jake out of the house this morning. All he wants to do is play the piano. All right, so here, here's what you've got, okay? This post, she hooks you in by kind of talking about this every mom gripe. Oh yeah, I struggled to get my kids out of bed in the morning too. I can't get them out of school. Just when you think you can identify with her, that's precisely when she says, and here's why, because I got a musical prodigy on my hands. I got the next Beethoven in my house. That's the humble brag approach, right? And then all of a sudden you feel less about yourself. You can't measure up. Now here's another humble brag. It goes like this. We are going too many directions and we're taking a break from baseball season this year. Hashtag let the kids be kids. Yeah, that's good, right? I mean, that sounds, that's nice. I, I can identify with that. But, but here, here's the reality. Here, here's what she really means. Here, here's what's really being said. I missed baseball signups for my son and we had a huge fight over it. Hashtag 
too busy Facebooking, right? <laughs> Let's do one more humble brag. We're taking a stand. Ooh, righteous. No more iPad for the kids for a while. Hashtag family time. Reality, my kid dropped the iPad in the toilet and broke it, and I lost my temper. Hashtag, I sounded demon-possessed. <laughs> so much of what we compare ourselves with is, isn't even real, right? And, and, and I, don't, I don't bring that up to guilt you. I don't, I don't bring that up to make you feel bad, but, but here's why I do bring that up. I bring that up so that you as a mom would be free. You don't, you don't have to live up to the expectations of, of someone's highlight reel from that day because you know what? That's just the best version of themselves and chances are it's probably not even real. And, and so I just want to tell you that, that your worth and your value and your identity, it, it shouldn't be compared to someone else's best version of their day because it, it, it's merely an illusion. And so what would it look like for you to actually be freer of this? Because you know what? You absorb enough responsibility as is. The last thing you need is, is to be filled with more guilt, more shame, more insecurities. Then things just spiral out of control from there. And so he, he, here's, why, here's why I chose this text, this story on Mother's Day, okay? Seems a little bit odd. Mary forgets Jesus, Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, right? He, here's why I chose it, Okay. Think about it like this. As a mom, as a mom, Mary blew it and failed, yet her son turned out okay. Right? And at the end of the day, and this may offend you depending upon your tradition or church background, but at the end of the day, this is just reality. Mary was a broken person and she was an imperfect mom. And in some ways, Jesus was who he was in spite of Mary. So moms, this time you let yourself up off the mat. Your kids are not as totally dependent upon you as you may think that they are. Our story ends by Luke saying this. Then he, Jesus, went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them, but his mother treasured all of these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Right, so picture this, Jesus is, is the creator God who has set aside all of his rights, all of his privileges of being the sovereign one who has spoke the entire world and the entire universe into existence. And yet in this moment, we see that he has submitted himself to earthly broken sinners, parents, moms, and dads, kids. What, what are the implications for you on this? Jesus willingly submitted himself, even though he had all authority, all authority belonged to him and and this was a transitional moment between Mary and, and Jesus because a time was coming soon after this. With each passing day, Mary realized that, you know what? My son shouldn't be following me anymore. I should be following him. I, I don't know when the transition happened, but at some point he started taking care of her more than she was caring for him, right? If you haven't already experienced this, a day is coming when all the time devoted to raising your children will be reciprocated in, in some kind of ironic way. In one of her books, author uh, Irma, Irma Bombeck has a section where she asks this question, when did I become the mother and the mother become the child? Here's what she writes. 
This transition comes slowly, the changing of power, the transferring of responsibility, the the passing down of, of duty. Suddenly you are spewing out the familiar phrases learned at the knee of your mother. So, so where's your sweater? You know how cold the stores get with the air conditioning. I mean, that, that's the last thing that you need, mom, is a cold. You look very nice today. Didn't, didn't I tell you that, that you would love that dress? Do you have to go to the bathroom? But before we go, you, you know what a big deal it is to go to the doctor's office. What, why don't you just go anyway to, to get it all over with now? That first time you, you rush to grab her arm when she walks over a patch of ice, as your own children grow strong and independent, the mother becomes more childlike. You, you, you bathe and pat dry the body that once housed you. You spoon feed the lips that kissed your cuts and bruises and made them well. You comb the hair that used to playfully cascade over you as it made you laugh when you were younger. The naps are frequent as yours used to be. You accompany her to the bathroom and wait to return her to her bed. She has a sitter already lined up for New Year's Eve. You never, you never thought it would be like this. You, you didn't see this day coming. But then one day when you're riding with your daughter in the car, she slams on her, she slams on her brakes and her arm flies out instinctively in front of you between the windshield and your body. And you think to yourself, so soon. Vera's our uh, four-year-old little daughter who is just so full of life. This past Thursday, she had a uh, end of the school year program for her preschool that she was so excited about. Now you need to understand that back in the fall around November, she had a similar program around Thanksgiving, but when she got up on stage to sing some of the uh, songs for the program, she froze, she got scared when she looked out and saw all the eyes that were looking at her. I mean, she she just was paralyzed with fear. And so she started crying. She didn't even sing a word. and so when she knew that this end of the year program w- was coming, I mean, for, for like four or five weeks, we've been practicing. She's come home every day from school, excited about how well she did in rehearsal. And, and she just was determined, all right, th- this end of the year program is going to be the year when I actually get up on stage and I sing and, and I overcome my fears. Well, the closer Thursday got, the more the reality of what was taking place sunk in and you could see fear was just starting to take over. You could just see it in her eyes little by little. It got to a point where Thursday morning when Savannah dropped her off, she had to convince her just to get her in school that, you know what, when you get up on stage and you get scared, just start lip singing. Just start lip singing. Well, When Savannah dropped her off in her class, right before Vera walked in, Vera turned around to her mom, Savannah, and said in a very matter-of-fact way, you know what, I'm not only going to lip-sync, but I'm going to tell all my other friends to lip-sync as well. (laughs) I don't know if that's good advice, you know? There was a class that went before her class at the program, and, and so we waited, and then out of the left corner of my eye, I saw her two teachers walk their class into the room and I got a little bit nervous. I pulled my phone out because I wanted to capture this on video. I still didn't see Vera yet. And, and so I kind of turned around waiting for her to, to pass by so that, so that I could show her later on how proud I was of, of her and, and how well she did. But when my eyes met hers, I could see fear had totally paralyzed her. She wanted to hide. She ran behind a friend so that I wouldn't see her. And a couple seconds later, I heard this crying and stomping of feet. And it was Vera. And, and she wasn't even up on stage yet. And so right before her 
class was to go up on stage for this part of the program, her teacher had to walk Vera over to us, and, and Savannah just held Vera. And, and when I looked over at Vera, I could see in her eyes just, just how ashamed she was, how embarrassed she was that, that this was something that she had been working really hard for for a long time. And, and yet there we were, there she was in the audience observing all of her friends do what, what she tried to do, what she had been working really hard to do. Now, let me ask you something. How good of a, a dad, how good of a mom, how good of parents would we be if, you know, in that moment we said to Vera, all right, you know what? We are so disappointed in you. You, you better have some plans for, for what you're going to do tonight because you can't come home. You, you need to find another roof, all right, to go to sleep. You need to find someplace else to, to, uh, to eat. And it, you, we're just, we're cutting you out. All right, you, you're on your own. I, I just can't believe that you failed getting up on stage. I mean, look at all your friends up there. They have what it takes, but, but obviously you don't. Would we be good parents? No. Thursday night, I took Vera out on a little date and I sat her down as we were grabbing ice cream and I just looked her in the eye and I said, Vera, I want you to know something. I love you just as much as if you stood up on stage this morning and you sang that song and you recited all of those scriptures all by yourself as if you were the only person up there. That, that's how much daddy loves you. And, and it's almost like it didn't even make sense in her mind. She couldn't comprehend it. And so what if this this Mother's Day, what if this Mother's Day, and instead of hearing voices of shame, instead of being told you don't have what it takes, maybe for once, you heard from a Heavenly Father, I'm proud of you. You say, well, I don't have what it takes. And you know what? To a degree, there's some truth to that. You, you don't. Why? Because the Bible tells us that all of us, we, we have sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. You are a broken person. You've blown it big time. Yes, you've made some mistakes. I mean, you, you maybe don't deserve the family that you have, but as an act of grace, as a gift of grace, God has given this gift of, of being a mom to you, okay? And so in one sense, you, you don't have what it takes, but it's time, it's time maybe for you to take that lie and you replace it with the truth of God's word. And so what, what is the truth of God's word? Well, the truth according to God is that you are not defined by your role as a mom. And even in your role as a mom, you are not measured by, you know, you are not measured by if, if you're the biological mom or if you're a foster mom, if you're an adopted mom, adoptive mom. You aren't measured by how, how you gave birth, okay? You, you aren't measured by how many miscarriages you've had. You, you aren't measured by uh, how, how often your kids act up, the kind of report card maybe that, that your oldest brought home recently that's just flat out embarrassing. You aren't measured, you aren't measured by how loud your kids are in church. Thank God for that, all right? I'm just saying, we would be bad on that. You, you are measured simply by what Jesus has done for you. And you don't have what it takes. That's true. But Jesus gives you exactly what you need because he is enough. And so maybe this Mother's Day, instead of voices of shame, you can hear your heavenly father saying to you, I, I am proud of you. You are my daughter. You're my child. You have been made in my image. So what if the best thing you could do today as a mom to celebrate who you are is simply to relax, chill out, rest easy, and know that your kids, your kids will be just fine. Let's pray.
God, I know that even as I say that, you're proud of us. There's nothing we can do to mess up our identity, our worth and value. A lot of us right now, we're fighting off lies in our mind because we're hearing, nope, that's not true. That's not what my mom told me years ago. That's not what my dad said. And and so, God, it's time for many of us to replace a lot of the lies that we have been that we've been believing, that we've been living on, and and we replace it with the truth of your word. And the truth is, according to what you say, the truth will set us free. And the truth is, we have been made in your image. We are valuable, and our significance, worth, and value has nothing to do with what we do, but it has everything to do with what you did, Jesus, for us in our place because we are inadequate, because we don't have what it takes, and we are broken. And so it's time... It's time, Father, that a lot of us find rest in you and you alone. And we hear very clearly from you that you are proud of us. We thank you, Jesus, that you are enough. It's in your name we pray. Amen.